If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. That is Brian May of Queen, uh, the Golden Jubilee for Queen Elizabeth back in 2002, uh, blaring it away on the roof of Buckingham Palace. And uh, what a great version that is. And, you know, uh, when you start the show today, and, uh, and, and it's, it's quite the significant day as today is in the passing of Queen Elizabeth uh, at the age of 96, it's what, what, what do you do? What do you say? What do you, how do you start? How do you, how do you begin all of this? Um, because we can't say that it wasn't expected, but still, it's an extreme shock that the person that we have called queen for our lifetime uh, has, no matter how old you are, it seems, uh, you know, has passed away. And whether you're a royal watcher or not, I mean, there's always the big debate going on about whether we do this or do that or what have you. Um, But let's just talk about memories and and what this day means to you. And before I babble on too long, I want to play you a report that pretty much sums up what has happened today. Uh, This is Jeff Semple, uh, the Global News uh, Europe uh, Bureau Chief. In an ever-changing world, she was a rock of stability. Queen Elizabeth II famously said she had to be seen to be believed. For her Diamond Jubilee, millions came to see Britain's oldest, longest reigning, and most beloved monarch. She's probably the most famous woman in the world, probably the most admired woman in the world. Her reign was as long as it was unexpected. Born Elizabeth Alexandra Mary on April 21st, 1926, she was still a child when her uncle, King Edward VIII, abdicated the throne. Suddenly, Elizabeth's father was king, and she was next in line. The young princess made this promise. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. That devotion to duty would be her hallmark. She was a teenager when Europe went to war and begged her father to let her help, first with her wartime radio broadcasts. Thousands of you in this country have had to leave your homes and be separated from your fathers and mothers. My sister Margaret Rose and I feel so much for you. And later, joining the services as a driver and mechanic. During the war, she also met her distant cousin, Philip, Serving with the British Royal Navy, they exchanged letters for seven years. As onto the famous balcony came the bride and bridegroom. Their Westminster Abbey wedding was broadcast over the radio to 200 million people around the world. The newlyweds never expected Princess Elizabeth was about to become queen. But when her father died unexpectedly from a heart attack, the 25-year-old was thrust onto the throne. Her coronation was one of the first televised public events. The young queen quickly showed a knack for protecting tradition while embracing change. I very much hope that this new medium will make my Christmas message more personal and direct. Her reign spanned 14 British and a dozen Canadian prime ministers. From Pierre Trudeau's famous pirouette to Canada's second prime minister Trudeau. 
Thank you, Mr. Prime Minister of Canada, for making me feel so old. (laughs) Her Majesty made 22 trips to Canada, the most of any monarch. This country felt like a home, away from home. Many credit the Queen's personal popularity for the monarchy's survival. But at times, she struggled to hold the family together. Three of her children divorced, and after the death of Princess Diana in 1997, the Queen faced criticism for failing to join the public outpouring of grief. Diana's youngest son, Prince Harry, and his wife Meghan retired from royal duties in February 2021, dealing a blow to the palace. And a couple of months later, the royal family lost another member. Prince Philip died peacefully at Windsor Castle at the age of 99. At his funeral, a scaled-down affair in the COVID-19 pandemic, the Queen sat alone in a pew, a widow after 73 years of marriage. But within days of her husband's death, Her Majesty was back to work, as always, keeping calm and carrying on. The last time the whole family appeared together on the balcony of Buckingham Palace was to mark the Queen's 90th birthday, Her Majesty beaming with pride as her great-grandchildren practiced their royal wave. Long-time royal watchers said they'd never seen the Queen look so pleased. All the effort she's put in over the decades has paid off, and the future looks assured. The Queen is survived by three generations of future kings, all heirs to the British throne. Her legacy will endure, but for a woman who steered the royal family through three quarters of a century, it's hard to imagine this place without her. Jeff Semple, Global News. Steve is on the line. Steve, what are your thoughts today? I'm heartbroken. Uh, She took to the uh, throne four years before I was born. Uh, Hmm. It may sound silly, but I actually have a, a royal title. The end of my name is followed by... U-E, which means unity of empire. I'm an empire, the United Empire loyalist, uh, meaning that my family fought against the American rebels during the uh, Revolutionary War, and King George III awarded that royal title, unity of empire, to everyone that that, uh, fought against the Americans. And that, that, that title is for eternity. Like, I'm a United Empire loyalist, so are all my children, and so will theirs. And uh, so I I revered the Queen throughout my life, you know, saying God save the Queen in classrooms since I began kindergarten, and, uh, you know, we sang that at Maple Leaf Gardens and Mm. everywhere and anywhere. Um, I'm really, really heartbroken. Um, I am still supposed to be loyal to King Charles. I will be because I'm sort of bound, but uh, I don't really like him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Steve, thanks for sharing your thoughts. Much appreciated. Take care. Be well. Greatly missed. All right, let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert and uh, self-confessed royal watcher. She's with us now. Alyssa, what are your thoughts today? It's a sad day, Scott. You know, the Queen is really the one royal monarch that most of us have only known uh, throughout our lifetimes. And, you know, I have been reading a number of the articles and the condolence letters. And when you think how much history this woman presided over during her reign, her first prime minister was Winston Churchill. 
She has seen the country through, for better or for worse, Scott, but through ups and downs, through times of strife, times of war, times that where her family uh, was splashed all over the headlines. And, and yet she persevered and she endured. And she was a symbol of that, really, that no matter what, she was going to serve her country to the best of her ability through thick and thin. And, and you know what? She really, really lived up to those words. And it's interesting, too, you know, many have talked about just, you know, the the time that she was there, 15 uh, UK prime ministers, I think 12 Canadian prime ministers. And even listening to that clip we played earlier, uh, talking about the way back when uh, now delivering the Christmas message on this new medium called TV. Think about it. She used to do that on radio, then TV and the Internet. She's seen quite a bit and quite a bit of different leadership. Yes, and I think that when we look at the mark of a leader, we look at someone who can embrace the new, no matter how difficult. Remember, you know, royalty in the royal family is truly steeped in tradition, yet they embrace the new platforms. Also, again, for better or for worse, there was a documentary, I think it was something like Behind the Robes, uh, that they did on the royal family. And Queen Elizabeth was so appalled that she refused to ever have it played during her lifetime on on anything on any platform so you know she realized that uh, there were some things that the royal family had to embrace and that uh they had to learn how to create their own narrative on it but beyond all that she maintained her presence she never wavered there was never a time where we saw the queen other than how we always would wish to see her very stalwart, compassionate, empathetic, and yet standing by uh, the country that she ruled over, um, but did not run, ruled over. And she provided people with a a, a sense of um, comfort, I think. And I believe that that was a role that she took very, very seriously. Someone of her stature from that era who has lived through many, many decades is something that we don't often see anymore. Certainly very much a constant. Um, Let me say this. King Charles, how does that sit with everyone? That would be King Charles III to you, Scott. I'm sorry. (laughs) I stand corrected. I think that you stand or you can bow. Yes, I'll bow. I'm down on one knee right now, Alyssa. Okay, I feel better about that. But you know what? I mean, listen, we're going to have to get used to that. And there's a number of questions that we think about, not like the ones that the last caller brought up, but, you know, questions like, is King Charles now going to replace uh, his face? Will, will he now be on our banknotes? Um, will we now have a holiday? Uh, commemorating Queen Elizabeth. We, you know what? My daughter, my daughter brought that up. Somebody, they're, they're having that conversation at university, apparently. Every kid. Every kid right now. Because yeah. and they're all looking at the months where we don't have a holiday. So maybe there yeah. is a Queen Elizabeth Day. I'm not sure how all the anti-monarchists would feel about that. But yeah. I think they would still take the day off regardless. So there's lots of questions. And the, and the biggest one of all, Scott, is... Will the monarchy be able to maintain its viability and its presence now that the queen is dead? 
Good point, and we'll all be watching. And the next few days with uh, the memorial and funeral and such are going to be fascinating. We'll, uh, fascinating. We'll chat again. Alyssa Freeman with us, Alyssa PR, pop culture expert and self-proclaimed royal watcher on the passing of Queen Elizabeth on, at the age of uh, 96. Thank you, Alyssa. Have a great day. Be well. Uh, you too. And just one last note, Scott, for anybody who wants to understand what happens after the Queen passes away, there's something called Operation London Bridge. I encourage everybody to take a look at it because uh, it's really something in terms of planning. Wow, great. All right, thank you for that. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Sam is on the line. Sam, what are your thoughts today? Hi, Scott. Well, I'm feeling a sense of loss. Um, I wasn't surprised when the announcement came out because the, the reports that I had heard earlier in the day kind of left me thinking that they were, you know, that it that she had already passed or that it was mm. moments away and they were preparing. Um, so I didn't feel that shock, but I'll tell you, when I was listening to the earlier show and they played God Save the Queen a couple of times, and it was emotional for me. Um, yeah. I'm 62. There's never been another monarch in my lifetime. Uh, Queen Elizabeth was um, a woman of devoted service. She was intelligent. She was uh, fair. Um, And uh, she really, I mean, how many monarchs in in recent day can we point to that served during wartime as a driver and mechanic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, She's been a constant for a long period of time. And, you know, the the comment she made many, many years ago, making her first uh, Christmas message address over television saying, you know, she hoped the medium would be around for a long time. And now, you know, she's gone from radio to TV to the Internet, and it's it's amazing what she's seen in her lifetime. It is. But I'll tell you that my feelings are starting to change a little bit as I'm listening to the radio because I'm starting to get a little bit angry at some of the people who are missing the point and trying to uh, make political hay with this. Um, Britain is no different from any other country. It has its its dark moments in history. Um, But the things that everybody wants now to start pointing to and saying, oh, darn that monarchy, never happened in her reign. And and for for that matter, um, she let go of a lot of things that they're complaining about during her reign. And they're not they're not even willing to uh, talk about that, discuss that, or, or give her any credit for that. It's interesting, yeah. It, it's a time of mourning. The debate will continue after when uh, King Charles takes over. Sam, thanks for the call. Much appreciated. I want to bring in a uh, change gears here, bring in Dan McTagg. Uh, a Wisconsin judge has ruled uh, not for Enbridge over Line 5, but has stopped short of shutting the controversial cri- uh, cross-border pipeline down. What does it all mean? Uh, I want to bring in President uh, of Canadians for Affordable Energy and a former Liberal MP, Dan McTagg. Dan, before we get to uh, this pipeline and such, as a, as a former MP, what does it mean to you today when you hear the passing of the Queen? Well, you know, uh, many mixed feelings, but, you know, perhaps uh, gratitude uh, for her service. Um, we were part of the Commonwealth. She kept a lot of nations within the Commonwealth. Uh, it didn't really matter what political stripe you were from. You could agree or disagree uh, with uh, the monarchy as, a, as an institution, but you couldn't disagree with the fact that she had devoted herself with such astounding grace and uh, humility. I, this is not... Uh, I had the good fortune of meeting her once by chance uh, in 2005, uh, um, I think it was Commonwealth Day, and uh, 
near drawing room, and uh, for some reason, uh, she made a, a, lot, a bit of a turn, and I was in the room there with her. Uh, there weren't many other people around, and it was a very pleasant, down-to-earth, natural conversation. But my experience is one thing, uh, like your previous caller, we have no, no, no other uh, as, a, as a monarchy in England, and uh, we are still very much a part of the constitutional uh, you know, monarchy. And uh, for that reason, I think uh, this is a sad day, a day of reflection, uh, and a day for hope that um, th- those leaders of the future, those who exercise, uh, you know, constitutional authority, at least, uh, you know, uh, authority in uh, in principle uh, and in, but not in practice, uh, will will find someone uh, who is as steadfast uh, and as uh, devoted as she is, and that she lived a great life, a long life. Uh, mm. But I don't think she's the type of person who really sat back and took it easy. And so, uh, kudos to her uh, legacy in her lifetime, and uh, we're all less for it today. Uh, well said. All right, line five. We've talked about this a few times. Uh, this I- issue not involving necessarily the state of Michigan, but an indigenous ban. W- what what do we what do we get from this? What do we learn from this situation? Well, we're going to continue to hear various uh, attempts to try to shut this pipeline down. It won't stop here. Uh, those who oppose fossil fuels, those who believe that we can somehow switch over, as Europe tried. Uh, to a world uh, in which we don't use fossil fuels uh, uh, will continue uh, well-funded their legal campaign to shut this and many other pipelines down. We know they've been very, uh, they've been very successful in shutting down uh, future pipelines, but not so much when it comes to existing pipelines. Most companies uh, respond very, very well, very nimbly, uh, and they certainly have in the past decade. Prior to that, I don't think the record was all that great. It's really the echo of poor maintenance by some companies, including Enbridge. And I, I'm going to say this very, you know, very honestly. They, in 2012, they, uh, 2010, they allowed uh, you know, a lot of the, uh, big barrels of crude out in the Kalamazoo River uh, because they didn't look after that pipeline. Uh, now, that isn't the same as Line 5, but there is no doubt as to the importance, the indispensability of that Line 5, not just for, obviously, for Ontario and Quebec, but also for Michigan State, for surrounding states like Ohio and even as far away as Pennsylvania, uh, all of these states benefit from uh, and would be severely disrupted by the shutdown of that pipeline. But do not, you know, think for a moment uh, one court's decision is will be enough for environmentalists who will be working around the clock to find weaknesses, ways. It only takes one judge to shut it down. They can go to many through many types of appeals, and that uh, we know these the, these organizations are extraordinarily well funded, often under the guise of charities. So another battle within a war. What is the future of of Line Five? It'll continue to be a battle as long as the public uh, is uh, uh, continues to support and believe that uh, the world can wish away fossil fuels. Um, I don't want to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to be smart about it, but uh, that's not working out for, very well for Europe now, is it? And it's going to get a lot worse in days to come. I think we have to recognize that. Uh, people who use lawfare as a strategy to get what they want can do so only up to a point where people start to get affected uh, when it comes to their livelihoods, their ability to make ends meet, and the reality that uh, as we try to, uh, you know, uh, stifle ourselves and get rid of what is so important, sustaining our standard of living and our quality of life, uh, and and doing so in a way that's uh, far more clean than anything we've seen in the past, we're still going to wind up at the end of the day with people who are completely convinced that, uh, you know, uh, this, this evil has to go. Uh, same people who use, I don't know, phones made with oil products, EVs built with oil products, solar panels, uh, and, 
uh, and of course, windmills that uh, wouldn't exist without oil products. So we're living in a bit of a parallel world. I think uh, 10 years, 15, 20 years of indoctrination of Canada bad, fossil fuels bad is now coming to an end. And I think uh, some of the folks out there know it, but we're going to continue to see these kind of challenges. And they are challenges. At the end of the day, uh, Enbridge and other pipeline carriers will have to fight back, including the Canadian government, which finally, 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 after five, six years of this threat, has decided to push back. But uh, there's a cost. You'll be paying for this one way or another, folks. So does this latest dispute involve the state of Michigan and their governor, or was this a separate thing? I think it was separate, indigenous affairs. We know that yeah, uh, yeah. part of the part of line crew of the state of Wisconsin, but it, uh, it, was a, it, it won't stop the pipeline. It just requires that the... Uh, that the appellant in this case, the uh, the those not the appellant, the uh, 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 those who are the, the uh, subject to the claim, that would be Enbridge and company, uh, been put on notice that uh, there will be yet more challenges down the road, and no doubt this will wind up in a higher court. One thing is very clear: this cannot be dealt by strict uh, state level uh, authority. It has to go to the federal court, at which point federal jurisdiction kicks in. We know the treaty from 1977. And we know that uh, the both levels of government, federal at the in Canada and the United States, are not in favor of shutting down that or most other usable pipelines. Dan McTagg with us, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, former Liberal MP, talking about the latest hurdle for Line Five and keeping it open. Thank you, Dan. Be well. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. We heard earlier that, uh, and of course we certainly know the trials and tribulations of traveling in Canada, in Ontario, wherever, uh, wherever you're going, I guess, lately. Uh, pretty bad, whether it's waiting for your passport or just waiting in line to get your bags. Uh, it's been uh, not a great summer for uh, the travel industry in Canada. However, as of today, airlines required to issue full refunds for cancellations and delays if uh, you are not placed on a new flight within 48 hours. I understand what the difference is here is uh, the way this used to be was is if it was their fault. Now it does not matter. Let's bring in Barry Choi, uh, travel expert, and with us now. Barry, thank you for your time. I hope you're well. I'm good. Thanks for having me again. So talk to us about this uh, this new regulation on refunds that's coming out and what's different from the past. You know, the biggest difference is now they have to give you a cash refund within 30 days and some additional things now qualify where they owe you compensation, sort of like things that were out of the control. That said, the airlines still have loopholes with this new uh, air passenger rights. So I don't know if I would be... Um, too excited about it like safety still doesn't count and as anyone knows who's tried to claim compensation the airlines have all been blaming safety to kind of hope that you go away and uh, the idea here is also is they don't owe you anything if they rebook you another flight within 48 hours uh so what good is that to people who are only planning to do a long weekend trip if they if they're planning to leave friday and they get rebooked on sunday like they might get on the plane have to turn right back around uh so it's kind of silly that the government creates these new rules and there's another loophole already there that everyone foresaw so uh, and everyone foresaw this uh so loopholes being safety that's the key word here that was the big issue before and i think the bigger issues before is technically speaking the airlines went like keep in mind like these rules came in place 2019 uh so the concern was the airlines were basically giving everyone credits and obviously no one was really traveling 
for a long time. And now the biggest change is like arguably that you're getting cash back within 30 days, or like I said, there's more things that are covered. But overall, like, you know, more things being covered is irrelevant if the airline keeps saying it's a safety issue, it's a safety issue. It's on you as a consumer to prove that it wasn't, even though like it's so obvious that it was. Because uh, what people have quickly realized when, when they're asking for compensation from the airlines, the airlines will just say it was a safety issue, even though they were told it was, say, a staffing issue, which is within the airline's control. Uh, well, here was my next question, Barry. Uh, not, enough, not enough staff on the plane. That may mm-hmm. be a delay in you getting your peanuts, but it would also be a safety <laughs> issue. Would it not? I mean, there's got to be so many uh, crew on a plane. Is I'm guessing that's a safety issue. That's one of the loopholes that the airlines were exploiting. That's exactly what they said. They're like, hey, you know what? Uh, someone called in sick. We didn't have enough staff. But, you know, at the same time, I think everyone is well aware now that a lot of the airlines, they were selling flights because, you know, travel was in high demand, but they didn't have the staff to do it. So hmm. whose fault is it? Is it the airline who, you know, filled up a flight knowing that they wouldn't be able to staff it? Or is it a safety issue? Because, oh, because we don't have the staff, it's not safe. They're not technically wrong, but obviously, like we all know what they're doing. So does anybody benefit from this? Is it is it, or is this just all smoke and mirrors? You know, there will be a few people who benefit. They'll be able to get cash back instead of a credit that lasts for two years or whatever. Sure, definitely it'll help. But, you know, again, like any kind of compensation or insurance, if you want to call it that, uh, whoever's paying out will make their best efforts to not pay it out. And honestly, part of this is on the government. If you look at other countries, including the U.S., Turkey, parts of the European Union, the rules are very, very clear. If you're delayed for whatever reason, it's like safety does not count. Uh, you have to pay out your bank account within like seven days. Like I believe there's one big one called EU 251. And if you're delayed coming out of Europe, and this applies to Air Canada, say you're flying from London to Toronto, you're delayed X hours, they owe you 600 euros and it has to be paid in your bank account within seven days or they will be hmm. fined heavily by those countries. But you know, the funny thing about these air passenger rights is the government came up with them with the airlines. So the airlines knew what they were doing, right? So uh, any chance we'll see the sort of uh, enforcement that we see in all these other countries? Uh, I don't see that coming anytime soon. If you think about it, the only reason we've had these changes now is because of COVID-19. You know, everyone right. was getting credits. No one was flying. So, you you know, if you could actually use the credits, then maybe people less people wouldn't complain. Uh, but, you know... Again, we already know these loopholes as soon as the government, like these changes came into place today, but they were announced a few months back and people right. were already flagging, hey, you know, this doesn't help long weekends. This doesn't help for certain other reasons. No changes have happened, right? So uh, give us your prediction, Barry. Only got a few seconds left. What are your What are your thoughts about traveling this fall and winter in Canada? You know, prices will fall, but overall traveling is still very expensive because there's still a huge demand for it. All right, Barry Choi with us, travel expert, talking about uh, airline uh, regulations uh, involving refunds, uh, some changes today. Barry, thanks for the time. Be well. No problem. Have a good one. All right, as we've been talking about all afternoon, Queen Elizabeth II has passed away at the age of 96. Let's get the take of Michael Tobe. Uh, Troy Media uh, columnist, Looney Politics as well, contributor to the National Post and Washington Times, and was a speechwriter for former Prime Minister Stephen Harper, and is with us now. Michael, thank you for your time. I hope you're well. Yeah, as well as well can be. Hope you're well, too, Scott. Yeah, thanks. So what's it like being in the prime minister's office, uh, you know, when there is royalty or important guests of such distinction and such? What, what's your take on this day, having traveled in these circles? 
Oh, yeah. There's been a lot of preparation beforehand, <clears throat> which means that many of the documents, the speeches uh, are set. Now, there are obviously going to be little differences here and there. Like, for example, uh, British Prime Minister Liz Truss has only been on the job this week. Yeah. So she, she has probably some of her predecessor, Boris Johnson's speechwriters, maybe one, but it also could be a whole new group of people uh, working with, obviously, people within the bureaucracy and trying, or the civil service, as they call it there, and trying to <clears throat> coordinate things. But a lot of the basic preparations have been in place. I mean, Operation London Bridge, which is what it's been called, which is the arrangements for Queen Elizabeth II's passing, which have been set for many years. Mm. Everything has been set from, from what I understand from the very start, all the way down to the music, the food that they'll have, who will speak at the event, you know, assuming that obviously they're still here with us, and if not, they make obviously replacements. But as a speechwriter, it's an important thing to craft. It's an important thing always to craft something about a world leader, whether that world leader is with us or not with us. And the same obviously goes for a British monarch. A British monarch is an important feature <clears throat> in that country's history, but for, let's say, the Prime Minister of Canada or otherwise, Obviously, whatever they craft is extremely important because of our historical ties to Britain. And sure, you know, in 1982, we had the Canadian Constitution of Rights and Freedoms and obviously had mm -hmm. certain things that were broken from our British lineage. But our British lineage still exists. We are still part of the Commonwealth. So it is an extremely important thing to deal with. And whether the speechwriter is a monarchist or not a monarchist, and for the record, I'm not a monarchist, but I believe in maintaining the tradition and heritage of the monarchy, and I believe it's an extremely important institution. You want to put as much emotion, as much soul, as much depth, as much history, and as much of a personal connection as you can from the Prime Minister, in this case, to the, the Queen Elizabeth II, who has just passed. And I think all of those things are extremely important, and there's much more. Uh, and, and the swearing-in of Liz Truss would have been one of the last official things the Queen had, <laughs> has, had done before she passed. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually kind of extraordinary when you think about it. You know, Liz Truss mentioned, you know, this is the passing of the second Elizabethan age in her, uh, you know, in her uh, memories, you know, in her which is really her first formal speech as prime minister, where she's actually speaking about the passing of a monarch who just mm. basically gave the title to her literally days ago. It's extraordinary that that has happened, that we've had a switching of a prime minister in Britain and a switching of the monarch literally at the same time, again, all within the same week. So it's a kind of an extraordinary thing, but I guess if the Elizabethan age is to pass, or the second one, it is interesting that it will now be done with a relationship between a brand new prime minister and a brand new monarch, that being King Charles III. What about the worldview of all of this? Obviously, uh, a figurehead not ruling in politics and such, but still the end of an era. She was very much a constant over prime minister, president, leader, what have you, uh, as well as world, world events, including very recently a global pandemic. How yeah. will the world view this as the end of this era? Well, it's actually kind of extraordinary, not just <clears throat> because she devoted her life to public service and public duty, which obviously we know of, and you know, you have to give her an immeasurable amount of credit, not because she felt she would do any differently, not because she felt she was higher than anyone else, but at the same time, she knew what her role was. <clears throat> she performed it 
more than admirably. But at the same time, the world looks at someone who really has seen everything, has met an enormous amount of world leaders and dignitaries, you know, was alive during a world war and many other various wars. You know, you can use the, the Falklands crisis and various other things. She was certainly sat through and witnessed much of world history. And she and her family played an extremely important role during World War II, <clears throat> you know, when, you know, during the Battle of Britain. And, you know, basically it was obviously the strength of then Prime Minister Winston Churchill, but also the royal family coming, you know, there's the famous scene of them coming out of Buckingham Palace with Queen Elizabeth there, as they're all basically, you know, forming solidarity and strength with the British people. That's something she carried through when she became queen in 1952 and was officially coordinated the next year. She has just been an extremely powerful and visible entity in all of our lives. You know, the fact that she lived to 96 is glorious. I think we would all love to live to that age. Mm. But to live to that age and have accomplished so much and been such an important figurehead for the British monarchy and for the British people and have done that, you know, the decades of service and duty and service to her country, I think the world looks at it no matter what they think of the monarchy, no matter what they think of the royal family, no matter what they think of all the, the nonsense and machinations which have had them with some of the children the past few decades, I think they look at Queen Elizabeth II and the late, you know, and her husband, Prince Philip, who obviously now both have passed, but look at them as people who have just spent a lifetime aiding their country, you know, aiding the world, aiding democracy, and just aiding society in general. It's going to be fascinating to see what King Charles III does going forward, whether he tries to step into his late mother's footsteps and rule the same way, or if he attempts to try to do something different. But certainly, no matter what, the shadow of his mother will always be behind him. And it is a, it's not just a great shadow, it's a glorious shadow because of all that she accomplished and all that she, you know, all that she gave to her country and to herself. Michael Tobe with us, columnist for Troy Media, Looney Politics, contributor to the National Post and Washington Times, and speechwriter to former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Michael, as always, thank you for the time. Be well. My pleasure. You too. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Saad Salman with us, royal commentator, founder, and editor of The Royal Watcher, has uh, helped us out in many situations uh, involving the royals and such, and wanted to get uh, his comments today. Saad, thank you so much for the time. I hope you're doing well. Hi, thank you for having me on. Uh, obviously, uh, not a surprise. The woman was 96. There were some health issues uh, there, but still a shock when you hear this, isn't it? It really is a shock. I think it was known that the Queen has had health issues for the past year or so, but really it's not a shock. I'm currently in London on a two-day visit, and I was at Buckingham Palace earlier today when the news was first announced that she was ill, and I was right outside the palace when they announced her death. So it's an absolutely surreal moment for me to be here. Oh, my sod. I'm just I'm getting chills up my spine as I'm hearing this. So you're actually there and were when they put up that announcement. What was it like? Exactly. It is uh, really um, surreal to experience all this in person. The Queen has been such a figure in people's lives for the past seven decades of her reign. And to see be there at the moment of this transition is just, uh, I, I can't just find the words to describe that. It's been such an emotional day, and I 
um, the way the announcement has been made out, it's really, and the way people have been on the streets is that, yes, it was her time to come. There's a sadness of that this is the end of an era. Very much so. I mean, here, and we've talked about this all afternoon, the, you know, the reign of, of 70 years and, and the constant she has been in, in the world, not just for the UK, and, and so much of, of what she's seen. Does, I guess the only thing we're going to realize is after, and we experience it all, but what is life going to be like moving forward with King Charles? I mean, uh, as you said, it's an end of an era. We're fin- you know, it, She was with us till the end of this global pandemic, it seemed. Uh, she's been through a lot of, uh, guided us through a lot of, of tragedy and, and events uh, in the world. What do you think the future is going to be like? What is the, what's the feeling there? So right now, uh, everything has gone into what the code name is Operation London Bridge. So yeah. for the next 10 days, it has been announced, and we will see the beginnings of the reign of King Charles in a series of public events around the UK and around the Commonwealth as well. So, so far, the news is that uh, there will be an accession council at St. James's Palace tomorrow, where Prince Charles will be declared officially the monarch. Then and the Queen will lay in state in Edinburgh, after which the new King and Queen Camilla will uh, tour the capitals of the three nations of four nations of the United Kingdom. Um, there will the Queen's coffin will move from uh, to first to Buckingham Palace and then to Westminster Hall, where it will be in public display for at uh, three days, twenty three hours a day, before the funeral on either Saturday or Sunday. And from what I understand, this has all been planned for a great deal of time, right down this to the most planned, finite um, detail. From the moment she became queen, basically. And mm. really, the plan has been updated over the years, and we can see it going to reflect kind of the values of today and what the queen aspired in keeping up with the times. So one of her last official duties, Saad, would have been the swearing-in of the next Prime Minister uh, of the UK, yeah, Liz Truss. Believe it or not, was only three days ago. So it's, and, it's surreal that she was working then and she's no longer with us now. Um, obviously, uh, uh, we know that, that she had been ill and that she had cancelled some events. We had heard this in the past, but today we started to hear that members of the royal family were starting to arrive. When did things really turn for Queen Elizabeth? So I believe last, uh, this morning or last night, they announced that the Queen was supposed to hold a new Privy Council for the new government that's just been sworn in. And it was announced that she has decided to um, step back from that and that she has been taking some rest on doctor's advice. Then this morning it was announced that her condition is a bit serious and she has also been advised for us, which was the last official bulletin we got. But people began being concerned when it was reported that members of the royal family are on their way to Belmont, Castle in Scotland, where she has been residing for the past few months. And despite the official news, people had began predicting that the end was near. And so far around in UK time, it was announced around 1 p.m that uh, she has been ill, and then her death was announced um, half past six. So mm-hmm. in that time, really, the whole public and all the speculation just went right, and you could feel that the end is near at that point. 
So I'm watching live coverage now of uh, Buckingham Palace, and it uh, looks like there's a light drizzle there, some umbrellas and such. Obviously, it's evening. Uh, still a lot of people coming and going. What's it like there? What's it like to be in the city? What's it like to be in the streets? It's a really a unique experience. I was here back in June for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee when I saw her on the balcony, and I arrived in London yesterday. And I was um, with some family showing them around the palace and the city and saying, and a joke that, oh, yeah, that's where I saw the queen. That's probably the last time she'll ever be on the balcony. Similarly, we were walking past St. James's Palace. And and there, at that point, the queen and um, I was telling my uh, family that this is where, when the queen passed away, there will be the proclamation of a new king with the full heralds and everything, which will take place tomorrow. So it's surreal to see, uh, for me to see that. But in London, the mood is quite somber. I saw people were very emotional, but not hysterical in their emotion. Um, there was a lot of sadness at the end of an era that people feel that she had done her duty right up to the end. Uh, saw it. It's almost like it's a, a, a calling that you were there. I mean, you're the founder and editor of the Royal Watcher, and you're explaining to your family exactly what the protocol is if she passes, and then she does. I mean, my goodness, the connection from you must be unbelievable. Exactly. Yeah, I still can't believe it. I stepped out of my hotel a few hours ago to go see the exhibition at Buckingham Palace for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. It's been something I've been planning on seeing for the past few months. And while there, all of this happened. So the timing has been such an unexpected coincidence. So uh, right now, people just sort of milling about and, and paying tributes, dropping flowers, what have you. And, and you know, not, not extremely sad, but certain mel- certainly melancholy over all of this. Yes, definitely. There's a feeling of sadness in the air, but... Uh, there's no kind of outpouring of emotion right. off, off that. I think people have, do feel that the time had come for the queen to pass, and she had really done her duty till the end. Uh, when I arrived uh, at the palace, right when the death was announced, there were just a few people uh, around. Now it is really full. The crowds are full there. The media have all set up their tents on one side, and people are coming and going. There, I been walking through London uh, since then, and there has been quite a lot of change. I, everyone is talking about it. There's a feeling of um, this is a new era and the end of the old. Saad Salman with us, royal commentator, founder and editor of The Royal Watcher, and just happens to be in London at pa- uh, Buckingham Palace when this all started to uh, come down today. Saad, thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing your time. And um, uh, my condolences to those of you that, that feel this real real connection, as, as we all do as, as members of the Commonwealth, uh, but especially you with the situation and uh, in your personal situation. Thanks for sharing your story with us. We appreciate that. Thank you so much. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. I want to chat with Ian Lee, Associate Professor of Sprott School of Business, Carleton University, about the telecom companies coming to some sort of agreement yesterday in uh, regard to the outage that we experienced with Rogers throughout the summer. So this sort of thing does not happen again. 
and there are or is some sort of backup, especially for 911 and business and such, when there is such a outage. Let's bring in Ian, Associate Professor, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. Ian Lee, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. They're doing very well. Thanks very much. Uh, before we get into this, uh, your thoughts, you're in Ottawa, your thoughts of uh, the passing of Queen Elizabeth and, and the end of an era, where we are right now. It is literally the end of an era. There's no question about it. I am one of those Canadians. I'm not a ardent royalist. I respected the Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth, because, and this is what is missed in all the debates of saying getting rid of the monarchy, and I'm not trying to get into that debate, is so many people personalize it and they say, why should I swear loyalty to the Queen? The Queen is merely a symbol. Mm. And this is taught in every law course and every political science course that the crown is the symbol of the rule of law. And the Queen is merely the office holder of the time. Now, she did a magnificent job because she was always highly ethical and very sensitive and, and very compassionate and empathetic and all those good things. So, she, you know, her personal character was unimpeachable. But her, the crown is the symbol of the rule of law. So when people say, well, why are you know, what, what's why, why, why do we have this thing of the crown? What you're really saying is, why do we respect the rule of law? Which is a really, I think, silly thing, because I think most of us do respect the rule of law. And they just don't realize that the crown is the embodiment. In fact, it actually states that in many of our, our laws. But in terms of her, she did a magnificent a job for a very long period of time through, I think it was 12 prime ministers from Winston Churchill down hmm. to the new prime minister and prime minister, former prime minister Mulroney was on CTV just about a half an hour ago. And he was very, very eloquent and uh, reminiscing about his experiences with the uh, queen. And, uh, you know, and, and by the way, every American president that's alive has issued some very moving statements. President Carter, who's 90 years old himself, um, as did uh, President Clinton, Bush, and even Trump. So she obviously, and these are people that knew her very, very well, and 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 uh, how you know she was extraordinarily decent, uh, very, very well informed, um, and really you know and and kept the you know level uh, you know hand on the uh, kept everything going and and, and copacetic. So I, I was, I think it's a very sad time. It was inevitable. She's ninety six years old. It was we knew it was going to happen, but nonetheless, I think as you just said, it is the end of an era, uh, because the UK, and I go there a lot because my late father was a Brit, uh, born and raised there. And the uh, UK is changing and changing very rapidly, like the rest of the world. And so that world that she represented is 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 disappearing. And it's interesting when you talk, uh, and there's a certain amount of people that, that would say, you know, get rid of it all, get, you know, uh, erase it, move on. But that's our history. That's how we came to be who we are. And you can't just erase history because it doesn't fit with today's lens. You're right. And and I want to bring that out even more because you and I have great debates over the years about, you know, rule of law and, and so forth. Once upon a time, the monarchy was an absolute monarchy. The, the mm -hmm. law, the king was the law, literally. Literally, the king determined what the law was. I'm talking 800, 900 years ago. And the genius of England and then the UK was that they evolved it, to use that great line by President Obama, former President Obama. Over time, they evolved the system, and it moved from a, uh, a dictatorship, an autocratic dictatorship a la Putin type, you know, where he was everything, he determined everything. It evolved into a constitutional 
a democratic monarchy where they were the symbol of the rule of law, but they no longer made the decisions. We know this because uh, parliamentary system evolved under the British monarchy uh, in the 1600s and evolved to the modern system that we're all we all know in Canada and the UK and Australia. And so it was flexible enough and dynamic enough to evolve into the democratic constitutional monarchy it is today, which is a rule of law country. And that's nothing to be sneezed at. And she, Queen Elizabeth, was a very important part. She understood the world was changing. She understood the powers of the monarchy were diminishing. She understood her authority, you know, that these powers were diminishing because we were becoming more democratic and, and all that good stuff. And she didn't try and stop it. She didn't try and block it. She hmm. was very strongly in favor of reforms and uh, that up to update the monarchy and to, of course, uh, reforms to the to the uh, to the democracy and the way thing and voting and and, and so forth. So she was uh, she was a reformer and uh, she understood that they had to update and reform and and move with the times. And that was part of I think why people respected her. She wasn't some person standing there with her hand saying stop stop all these changes. Hmm. I don't want anything to change. She was. So she was, to use a modern phrase, she was a very progressive monarch. Ian Lee with us, Associate Professor, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. We'll save the business stuff for another day, Ian. Great conversation. Thanks for the time. Be well. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Obviously, Queen Elizabeth II passing away today at the age of 96. And uh, listening to your thoughts on that, as well as talking to various uh, experts on uh, the monarchy and politics and various aspects of this. There's lots of different angles uh, to this story and a woman that has met so much to not only the UK, but the rest of the world and watched over that for for so many years uh let's bring in bruce ha- uh bruce halso a uh, member of the monarchist league of canada and with us now bruce thanks for the time i hope you're well yeah in the circumstances i'm i'm well enough thank you we certainly hear bruce uh the term a lot and i was just watching some news a second ago uh when the commercials were on end of an era what does that new era look like uh any idea or is it is that the unknown at this point well, uh, you know, to some extent, we know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. We we have a king. God, God save the king. Uh, Canada is a monarchy. We've always been a monarchy since uh, we became a country. It's uh, uh, a critical part of our constitution. We're one of the most successful countries in the world and one of the best places to live. So I don't see uh, any huge demand for us to, to uh, change our constitution. So things will carry on. Uh, His Majesty will carry on the role that Her Majesty, that we're used to her carrying on, and everything will be normal. That said, there's no denying the affection Canadians have for uh, Her Majesty and just the familiarity of having the same person be our monarch for, Mm. for most of us, for all of our lives. It's very hard to imagine... Uh, a different person in that role because Her Majesty's been there forever and has done such a remarkable job as uh, um, as many of your listeners have talked about. So, so like any uh, death, it's a time for mourning. There's a sense of great loss, but but life will carry on. We have a uh, a very simple system. We already have a new head of state. And uh, Parliament will continue. The courts will function in the name of His Majesty instead of Her Majesty. Uh, 
soldiers will pledge allegiance to, to his majesty and and we will get used to that it's uh it's going to be take a little getting used to the nomenclature but Hmm. You know, nothing will really change. We'll be okay. Um, you know, also when you, you, you step back and look at this, Bruce, uh, I think one of the reasons for that respect is she's seen more than most of us have and and, and led and guided through that. Well, for sure. Uh, think of what Canada looked like 70 years ago. Hmm. Think of what uh, our architecture was like. Think of how we dressed, the kinds of food that we ate, hmm. what our family structures looked like. The whole world has changed, and yet we've had this one institution that has remained and this one person at the head of it who has been a constant, steady influence for all of us. Uh, I think that has been very reassuring for people, and although the institution remains, um, having the same person there for 70 years is remarkable and historical, and this was, it was probably a very important time in our history to have that stability because we had so many other things change. Um, hope you know. Hopefully, the institution will continue to serve that role, but it it'll be more of a challenge because we will see change. We will see a king, and and given his age, uh, we will not see this king around for mm. seventy years. That's for sure. We'll we'll have another king in in due course, and and that's okay. That's normal. We've lived in a period of abnormality, and 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 we've come out of it. It is it is the end of an era. You've talked about that constant era and that figurehead that's always been there through whatever, uh, including very recently a global pandemic. Is there any reason to feel uneasy now or unstable because this is happening? Or is that just bound to happen because we are seeing a changing of a guard? We are seeing the end of an era. I think it's entirely normal for people to feel uneasy because there's been a rudder in our society and in our constitutional government that has uh, taken us through so many twists and turns and and kept us going, moving steadily forward. And we have a sense that that rudder is lost. But I think that we will find that the, the rudder, which is the institution that the Queen um, served so well and fought so valiantly to preserve, is still there. And uh, we will move forward as a society, and we will move forward with uh, in the right direction. And we will miss Her Majesty tremendously, but uh, partly because of the fine work that she did, we will move forward with a roadmap and stability and uh, a monarchy that follows the example that she led and, uh, and the mentoring that she gave, and I think we're going to be fine. Will this increase, and you know, inevitably this question will be asked, does this increase the debate over the significance of the monarchy, or does something like this solidify it? I think you're going to see a huge outpouring of affection for Her Majesty and for the values that she stood for. And and people talk about how she represents perhaps a bygone era of self-sacrifice and duty, but I don't think so. I think those are traits that we admired in her and we still admire in people and I think this is just going to remind us about how important that is. And one of the things that was the most important to Her Majesty, and if we want to honor her, is preserving the institution of the monarchy. I mean, that's why, you know, in 70 years, almost every other institution in our society has undergone radical change. And uh, the monarchy has remained. And I think that the best honor for Queen Elizabeth is that it will remain. And, and frankly, there's lots of practical reasons as well 
why it will, but I, I don't think Canadians in the in the wake of her death are going to be looking for radical change. I think we're going to be looking for reassurance and continuity. And that's exactly what we're going to be provided with. Bruce Halso with us, member of the Monarchist League of Canada, talking at the pa- talking of the passing of Queen Elizabeth II at age 96. Bruce, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Okay, you too. Bye. Of course, the news of the day today, the passing of Queen Elizabeth II at age uh, 96, as the condolences continue to pour in from all over the world, uh, politically as well. Let's bring in Peter Gray, professor of political science, McMaster University. He is with us now. Peter, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. And thanks. So your thoughts on the passing of a queen and someone that has served with uh, over so many years and have seen and met so many political leaders, your thoughts on today? Well, I mean, certainly, I guess uh, people will remember the crown and, uh, you know, remember the queen, you know, both through their personal recollections, but also, you know, as someone who oversaw quite a momentous century of uh, British politics, um, you know, as a political scientist, uh, you know, it does raise a question about the future of the monarchy and the, the broader, broader British Empire. Uh, saw Barbados. Get rid of the Queen as a head of state uh, in 2021, a number of other Caribbean nations thinking the same. So, you know, there's also the question of what comes next as one moves from a, you know, a fairly beloved figure uh, to, uh, you know, a, a, a next King Charles who may not have the same degree of, uh, you know, warm feelings uh, felt towards him uh, across that Commonwealth. So do you think this dec- this increases the debate on the relevance of the monarchy, or does it solidify it as we remember her? Uh, well, I mean, I think uh, for many Canadians, uh, they, you know, they like the Queen, uh, you know, a bit like they like uh, Hollywood stars. Right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a family to follow. Um, you know, they like the sense of continuity and predictability uh, within it. Uh, uh, but they probably, in fact, uh, pull that apart from any kind of thought about uh, the monarchy as a structuring principle, you know, and the fact that we remain in a political system, which, you know, although it's democratic, is still based very much on the idea that, you know, it's ultimately the queen who executes the wishes of our, of our democratic representatives and has that, you know, that form of uh, uh, set of relationships. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure that the specific Queen, you know, will reinforce uh, feelings of monarchy uh, in the country. If anything, it's likely to push a bit more to a re-examination about, you know, why do we still owe such fealty uh, to people, um, you know, who are there? Because at one point, uh, you know, it was felt that they were chosen by God and, mm. uh, you know, were better than us. So uh, it is a, it's a kind of a weird magic uh, uh, around the, 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 the monarchy and, uh you know, we'll see whether that still fits in our times or whether, you know, we're less willing to, to accept that in a form of rule. As you mentioned, it's it's obviously less to do with, with rule and, and leadership and more to do with figurehead and such. Um, so are you surprised this debate is so intense? Uh, it's not like the Queen or the royal family is, is making the call for the, you, you know, the rules of the day, so to speak. Um, and others would look at it as say, well, that's history. That's our history. Uh, is it, are you, are you surprised at the seriousness of this debate or the intensity of this debate, considering they really don't have much influence anyway? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it varies from, you know, state to state. I mean, for many of the, the Caribbean countries, uh, you know, they have a different uh, set of relationships to uh, the British crown than, uh, you know, a settler colony like Canada or Australia. And even in those cases, uh, you know, settlers like us have a very different relationship than uh, Indigenous nations who still believe uh, and consider that their treaties uh, are not with the Canadian state, but at least the historic ones, but with the Queen or the crown in Britain. Um, so, you know, there are there are a variety of, of degrees of complication and of, of different, you know, relationships there. And I think that, you know, produces uh, different takes on, on the relationship to the monarchy. But, yeah, for most of us, it uh, is probably seen as a kind of a, a quaint tradition, uh, you know, which some people uh, cherish as tradition and other people chafe at for, you know, what it signifies <laughs> about, you know, whether we're very sovereign in this country or still uh, subjects of a sort of foreign monarch. Um, but, you know, for others, uh, you know, they live it a bit differently. Uh, you know, the, the monarchy is uh, maybe a relationship to uh, periods of servitude and uh, slavery in a number of uh, Caribbean contexts, texts of, uh, you know, indigenous politics in this country. Well, uh, you know, the queen and the crown have not really kept their end of the deal. And there's maybe some questions about if we get rid of the relationship to the crown, uh, you know, who really holds a responsibility for honoring those treaties of uh, uh, the 18th and 19th centuries. So, uh, yeah, it is a pretty it's a pretty layered uh, situation, and that maybe explains why we don't just uh, give the monarchy the heave ho, because there's a lot of bits and pieces to unwind and rewind in in our political system, but also in our relationships between. Indigenous uh, Canadians and uh, the Canadian state uh, if we were to displace monarchy. Uh, it is a very complex discussion, uh, as obviously you've just alluded to. Uh, is, it, is, this a pil- is this a period of uneasiness or instability in any way, considering, again, largely a figurehead, not really a, a democratic or not a democratic institution. We vote for who our leaders are and such. Um, is this an uneasy time? Because people have used the, the uh, phrase end of an era. Is that, a, is that a bad thing? Is that a good thing? Is, uh, should we be cautious of that? Well, I mean, uh, you know, we had Mick Jagger uh, out his uh, condolences today. And I suspect when he passes away, we'll also talk about an end of an era. <laughs> which, uh, you know, we, we elevate certain people to these kind of roles of, uh, you know, uh, they're important public figures. And they, you know, they, we, they're things that remind us or mark times, all the pomp and circumstance of, you know, the installation of the queen. And, uh, you know, for people of a certain generation, that's a day they remember. Um, you know, so, I mean, I think there's ways in which, you know, these, these things, you know, hang around, but uh, is it really, you know, the end of an era? Well, it is in terms of the tabloids and what they can write up the mm-hmm. fights in the royal family and how the queen is not amused. But uh, I think for most Canadians, uh, there will be uh, no breakage in time between yesterday, today and tomorrow. I can certainly understand the discussion uh, in regard to distancing ourselves from the from the monarchy. We're our own independent country now. We're doing our own thing. But it seems as if we distance ourselves, we're erasing history or we're, well, we're not part of that anymore. 
Can you do that? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, even with the discussions going on in Canada uh, uh, and, and made its way today onto the show in regard to residential schools and the indigenous community uh, and, and canceling things, can we cancel something? And I'm not saying that's the case with the monarchy. Is that not part of our history that we have to learn from? So can we just say, hey, we reject that and move on. We're not that anymore. Or is it part of your past you can't deny it's history well i mean you know when when you get the creation of canada in 1867 were we canceling a past in a way we were and in, in making a decision to move in a new direction you know and at every stage of you know moving away from you know the control of uh, right the british parliament on our politics in canada we, you know we, we could say well we were canceling a part of our heritage but you know, we prefer well, we, to look well, actually at the quality of we, the choice we were making. We were moving on and 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 doing our own thing, but that doesn't mean we were forgetting about the past, does it? I mean, again, we we the monarchy doesn't rule us anymore and hasn't for a long time. Um, but erasing it, I, I mean, is that not erasing history? Well, I mean, decisions say if Canada was to decide to become a republic. You know, is that erasing history? I think it's making a decision, right, uh, about the nature of rule in the yeah. state. And, you yeah. know, when we tell the story of that day, I don't think we erase the past, but we'll be talking differently about what came before. Although, I, you know, I, again, I, I really don't see, you know, this erasure happening anytime soon. I mean, as we see so many, you know, business leaders around our community pushing for us to do the Commonwealth Games. So on the one mm. hand, uh, mm. you know, and, and indeed there's a number of states in the Commonwealth which have gotten rid of the Queen as a head of state, but, you know, maintain their participation, uh, you know, in this broader community uh, of states, you know, again, tied back to a shared history. So, uh, you know, I think it's 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 more complex when, when political communities make decisions to move in certain ways. It's not like they wipe the, the, the slate clean. There continues to be a series of ways in which we're connected to that past and you know, we bring it with us, but we probably talk about it differently. So that's about cancelling that past, but making a decision of what we're going to make of it. Just because we did it that way in the past, do we stay there or do we find what's, you know, what's been useful in the British institutions we've, you know, inherited for, for how we run ourselves, but maybe also uh, decisions about how we might want to to change that, um, you know, as we move, move and become a much more mature country past 150 years. Peter Graff with us, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University, talking about the passing of Queen Elizabeth II at age 96. Peter, as always, fascinating discussion. Thanks for the time. Be well. And you too. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. You know, what's amazing um, following this coverage of the passing of Queen Elizabeth at age 96 and watching all of the images and such um, is, and again, this just echoes the era that she she served in. You see every type of style, every type of haircut, every type of automobile, every type of glasses over the last 70 years. And watching these, it's like you're watching your home movies and there's you at five years old and the queen would walk by. Uh, and and the same thing 50 years later it's just it's it's absolutely bizarre uh the amount of time and what this woman has seen over the years whether it's leaders or events or what have you let's bring in scott radley host of the scott radley show coming up after the six o'clock news you can read him in your hamilton spectator he's here now scott thanks for the time i hope you're well i'm doing great i'll let you when you say every hairstyle you don't mean the queen 
everyone around her. The queen yes. miraculously the, through looks all the, the same. Yes. Had the same hairdresser. Yes. Uh, yes. Which, and you know who was thrilled for that? The people who run the mint. Because yeah. the coins could then stay there. Imagine if the queen had been. Oh, you know, it's the someone, queen with long hair. If the oh, queen had goodness. done all the different hairstyles, the people that mint are like, oh, man, get the oh, engravers. Yes. We got a new one. Yes. Um, oh, the shag era of the queen. Yeah, all of that. Yeah, My yeah, goodness. The bouffant. Yeah, the, uh, the 70s Afro queen. Um, sure. Yeah, no. It, sure. It's, um, it's funny, though, what you say, though, about when you look and you see yourself in your home movies and there's a queen passing by, that exact thing is in my home movies. Years of growing up in Toronto, I'm probably eight or nine or ten. I don't know. She was on a trip to, uh, to Canada. And uh, we have the home movies of me sitting, at, really? uh, me sitting at the park, at Lytton Park in Toronto, and she was driving along Avenue Road, and there she is in her convertible with Prince Philip just driving right by. And, um, and you got her on a home movie. And we have it on a whole movie, and I think I have a still photo as well. But yeah, absolutely. And, and I think probably, you know, I mean, look, th things changed in, you know, I, I would have thought it would have changed after JFK. Uh, clearly mm. didn't because she was in a convertible. But things did change in more recent years when security and everything else changed. But I bet there's yeah. an awful lot of people that very vividly can remember exactly what was described, where they were there and there was the queen and it didn't look like she was you know under a she yeah. wasn't in a pulp mobile or something like she was just there uh end of an era you hear that a lot i've heard that a lot today uh, what does that mean uh, does it mean something beyond the monarchy is it you know or yes. you know post-pandemic yes. world um no it's more know, simple than it, that scott does it it's make it does it make that. it feels un, does it make it feel uneasy in any way uh Maybe. I mean, the end of an era in this case, I think, is a very legitimate, like, it, that's it's such an overused yeah. line. Uh, just like when people say it's a historic moment, except in this case, end of an era, historic, they're legitimate. Yeah. I'll tell you why. There are probably, if you look at Stats Canada census numbers, probably 15%, maybe, of Canadians have actually been alive to have seen any other monarch other than her. Almost yeah. every Canadian, for as long as they have lived, she is the only person we've always ever known to be on our money. And we've never sung God Save the King, if you ever sang that song, God Save the Queen, anyway. Mm -hmm. But it's, this, is, this is all we have. It's, it's a constant. And, and you know, not to, not to get too schlocky or schmarmy. I heard someone today on, uh, on our national broadcaster say, you know, it's, it's, it's raining in London, so it's like the sky is crying. It's like, oh, <laughs> Come on, like, don't be, don't like overdo it. But in this case, it's true. We, she is a constant. She is the thing that when everything else has changed in our life, different leaders, different, yeah. everything else, the queen has always been the queen to the point. And I thought this, this a few minutes before we came on, there are many, 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 many monarchs in the world. I don't mean the butterflies. I mean, like royal yeah. people. But when you say the queen, no one has to say, oh, which queen are you talking about? Yeah. When you say the queen, we all know who the queen is because it's that's who has always been. So it is going to be weird. I, I imagined today when assuming at some point that our mint has to get around to start making new bills and Prince yeah. Charles faces on that's going to be a weird bill to pick up or a coin to hold. You wonder how long it will be before that happens, if in fact it does happen, uh, and whether they just keep Queen Elizabeth on it. Be fascinating to see. All right, Scott Radley coming up after the six o'clock news, hosting the Scott Radley show. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Have a great show.
Thanks, Scott. You too. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. Always greatly appreciated. Thanks to the two Wills for producing and Dave in the newsroom. And as always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word. It may sound silly, but I actually have a, a royal title. The end of my name is followed by U-E, which means Unity of Empire. I'm a United Empire loyalist, meaning that my family fought against the American rebels during the uh, Revolutionary War, and King George III awarded that royal title, Unity of Empire, to everyone that uh, that uh, fought against the Americans. And that, that, that title is for eternity. Like, I'm a United Empire loyalist, so are all my children, and so will theirs. And uh, so I, I revered the Queen throughout my life, you know, saying God save the Queen in classrooms since I began kindergarten, and, uh, you know, we sang that at Maple Leaf Gardens and mm. everywhere and anywhere. I'm really, really heartbroken. 